Coming to you direct from our super secret studio. Hello, this is Washington for Beautiful People on Deep State Radio. I'm your host, Emily Brandwin, CIA spy girl on Twitter and Instagram. And we're broadcasting from the West Left Coast. That's LA. And I always give people a little update on the weather. It is not sunny. It is gloomy and horrible today. It is very not LA. And I always think of it as some kind of omen when I do my podcast. But it's not an omen because today I am super excited to be joined by one of my favorite actors who you've seen on stage and screen in most recently, The American Son with Carrie Washington, The Good Wife, The People versus O.J. Simpson, and a bunch of musical theater like The Bridges of Madison County, Assassins, Carousel, and I can't wait to talk to him about all this. It's Stephen Pasquale. Stephen, did I say your name? Did I say your name right? Please tell me I did. You did. You're, you're like a true Italian. Oh, I'm so glad. It would have been so embarrassing had I not. I Thank know. you. My for- father would have been upset with you. I was going to say, all your life, did teachers always mispronounce your name? A little bit. It was either Pascal or Pasquale. But uh, we say Pasquale, but we've sort of Americanized it and bastardized it a little bit because it's probably in Italy much more like a, you pronounce a little bit of the E in the end. Do you still have family back there? Um, we do in a tiny village called Pietra Catella. That's where my father's side comes from. Where is that? I'm just curious. I'm a little, like, I love Italy. I feel like magic fairy dust has been sprinkled all over the country. I know, it's incredible. I think it's the closest nearest city would be Milan. Okay. Uh, but it's like a really tiny town. My, my parents traveled there to try to find some family, and everyone in the whole cemetery was named Pasquale. So oh, they couldn't tell who was who was a relative <laughs> and who wasn't. That's a little creepy and a little kind of cool, too. <laughs> it's like yeah. they own yeah, the but, city. Um, I just yeah, want to say... Pasquale-heavy town. It's a very... They should rename the town, and I, I'll put it out there. If you want, I can start a Twitter <laughs> campaign for you. Perfect. I'm happy to do that. I, I found, I was going to say, I became, um, I've always been a fan of your work because I'm a big theater nerd, as most people know, if they follow me on Twitter. Most of my tweets are either <laughs> about Trump or theater. It's really a nice mix. Occasionally I'll throw in. Mine too. I, that's exactly why I followed you. <laughs> I was like. Either what? like theater nerds or angry politics. Exactly. And I feel like. It's sometimes I was like, it's kind of like the Reese's peanut butter cups. It's like two great tastes that go together, sort of, kind of. And I feel like it balances. Yeah, I mean, yeah also, like, the theater is a place to tell, you know, artists' jobs are important in today's uh, world. You know, we, we're the ones who tell the stories that hold a mirror up to, like, what we are. So there is a lot of intersect, I think, there. Well, I was going to say, with American Sun, I wanted you to talk a little bit about that because I felt like that was truly ripped from the headlines that was a story that anybody that we could have told that felt so real and very tangible and something you turn on the news and you would see could you tell us a little bit about that and just what that experience was was about for you well it's a it's a story of of an interracial couple a black mother and a white father who can't find their 18 year old son and the whole evening takes place sort of in one uh foul swoop at in a police station in about 95 minutes in Southern Florida. 
And it really is an exploration in identity and race and love and family and how we police uh, our children in America um, because of so many of the police shootings that have been the topic of, you know, conversation in the last few years. You know, when, when Chris Demos Brown wrote the play, I think one of his one of his words and hopes was that the play would be less relevant by the time we did it on Broadway. But unfortunately, it, it's even more relevant because it just seems to, to keep happening. Well, we're not doing anything um, to really mitigate that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a big it's a big societal question. Um, but to put a to put real personal faces and a story on um, in an, on an event like that was was very meaningful to to both Carrie Washington and I, and we felt really privileged to be telling a story that that was a real conversation starter for people afterwards, certainly. Do you feel a responsibility now, or are you just more drawn to stories and characters that tell these kind of stories? To me, it feels, I know even, you know, doing a podcast where I can talk about these issues, it felt, for me, it feels very important. It feels like I, I feel a need and an urge just to be able to talk about it and to give other people voice to be able to, you know, share their concerns and talk about solutions. Is that the same for you? Yeah. I mean, you know, I am, I am more than ever drawn to work that has meaning uh, and less to work that is just entertainment. Um, in, in, in the last few years, certainly, because I feel like we're so on the wrong track um, <laughs> that the, 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 the ability to correct is going to require some incredible uh, courage for a, of a whole generation of, of young Americans. So I feel like pursuing work that has meaning uh, politically uh, to me is really valuable. And I've had a great couple of years of being able to uh, to work on stuff. I worked on Ayad Akhtar's Junk, which was really an indictment of the radical raw capitalism um, and its flaws because um, it's not a perfect system. And then right after that, we did American Sun. And right before that, I had done Assassins. So I've been uh, um, blessed lately in terms of that um, feeling. Have you always been political or did you feel the need when the selection was coming? Did you just feel that surge in, in you? Or have you always just you know, been involved and been interested and passionate um, about politics? I have not. I have, to, I have to show my ass and say, can I say ass? You can say whatever the fuck you want. All right, podcast world. Yeah, it's, I it's a pretty delightful. Not play. a very political person. I was. I, I'm ashamed to say, I was not a very political person until my probably late 20s, early 30s, uh, and then I started to sort of talk about it because it felt like a, a fun thing to talk about and debate. But but what happened in 2016 um, really set me over the edge in terms of. In a raw, utter disbelief at the staggering ignorance that is floating around the country that we allowed this to happen. And the unbelievably corrupt, soulless, amoral party that, that allowed it to happen, which is the current GOP. I grew up in a Republican conservative household. So my Seriously? progressive... Yeah, but my progressive thinking... Um, is not something that was born in me. It was something that I came to much later in life. Um, so I'm not, you know, I, I always enjoyed the, the conservative progressive debate 
the Democrat-Republican yeah. debate. And we're so far from any of that right now because we're dealing with the most ridiculous plot line of a poorly written movie <laughs> that anyone could possibly imagine. And it's our life. And so uh, long, long answer short, yes, very political in the last few years, but not hugely, uh, you know, in my life up to that, probably. It's funny because I always said, like, we, you know, I, I get some criticism about, oh, you just want to talk about Democratic stuff and progressive stuff. I said, no, I really, I long for the days and I'm nostalgic for when we could have a really healthy discussion between different people and different parties because I may not agree with some of the old school Republicans. I, look, I didn't agree with everything McCain, you know, said. But I always respected him. I always thought that wherever he came from, it was from a place where he wanted to do better for the country. I don't think it's not like we're having an apples and oranges debate. We're having like an apples and like, you know, Toyota car debate. Like there's no debate. Like there's nothing in a comparison you can. It's like King Kong and and whatever, you know, it's. I mean, that's the the Orwellian. That's the like Orwellian lens that history will see this time through. Like the fact that. The fact that there's an entire political party who is anti-science, oh. like <laughs> it's like entirely insane. It's, and the fact that it's being taken seriously because they've rigged the system in order to to make to to gain power and then stay in power, it's like the craziest thing we could imagine uh, happened. And, and so I, I miss the days of just sort of. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Emily. And I was just saying, it's so dangerous too. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it was it was fun to debate politics when you could debate two positions on uh, abortion or on so on on the military or on immigration or on, um, you know, any myriad of issues. But now we're dealing with trying to fight for science and for evidence and reason and facts and data and expert opinion. The fact that we're trying to fight and convince people that science is real and that data is data it's yeah you're like no it's a fact it really were yeah well and it's funny when the climate change when we really when we went out of the paris accords and everyone's talking about when did we stop believing climate change Uh, it that to me like boggled my mind and then we and the rest of the world is looking at us like what are you doing we're we're trying to we're not we no longer lead the world in any way in terms of the climate issue i I always say now, I travel a lot. I always say it's when you travel overseas, it's like doing the Trump apology tour. And you're just like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's not us. Of course. Of course. But it's, you know, there is a a move to the sort of nationalist populist thing happening throughout the world. But the fact that we allowed it here with our truly one of our most, one of our worst citizens, we allowed, we allowed our worst to, to, yeah, and then he and then he prayed, he prayed on the the ignorant swath of the public that bought his con. That's cruel, you know what I mean. And then you've got these cowards like Jim Jordan and Lindsey oh. Graham and Mitch McConnell apologizing for him, defending him. How dare they? Jim Jordan today thundering oh. away at the Democrats for wanting to see the Mueller report. Mueller's a fucking Republican. What are we talking about? Let us see the report. If there's no obstruction, there's no collusion, there's no conspiracy, and it totally exonerates you, then let us see the report. It's absurd. It is. If it exonerates you, then let us see it. If it exonerates you, let Mueller testify. If if you have nothing to hide, let McCann, let Don McGann testify. If you have nothing to hide, show us your taxes. If you have nothing to hide, show us your transcripts. 
This is, a, this is the world's greatest snake oil salesman, and like one out of four Americans bought the con. It's, 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 a, it's an indictment on American ignorance is what it is. It's hard. Like I have, I used to have a real problem with the word ignorance when people would say Trump was ignorant, not especially with him, because I always felt like the word ignorance allows leeway to change. And it means that somebody <clears throat> just doesn't know better. Trump knows better. I, I truly believe oh, yes. in my heart of hearts, he knows every single lie he is saying, but he knows that people will buy his con. And he knows when he yeah. says, you know, there's no, you know, climate change isn't happening or whatever it is. There's no, like he knows all of this. Totally. And so totally. I, I never want to give him or his family the grace of using the word ignorance. Other people, no. yes, but he never his family. He, yeah. They, the, the Trump family is preying on the ignorance of, of working people in America. And that's sad. And it's cruel. You know what I mean? It, to know that you can absolutely. tell a lie and you can talk them into that lie. is just, uh, it's sad and it's cruel. Um, have, I mean, the guy was a registered Democrat for 20 years. Are you kidding me? And then he was a registered independent for 15 years. He only became a Republican because he said he could shoot somebody and wouldn't lose votes. <laughs> and his and Ivanka donated. I think she, look, I think she'd vote donated to Cory Booker back in the day. Like they were big Democratic yeah. donors too. Is totally. anything this whole thing? Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say the whole thing is a, is an unbelievable grasp at attention and and money and power and he wasn't even interested in it he just thought he could build his brand and then with the help of the russians which he welcomed he won the damn thing and now we're stuck with the most corrupt person in the history of government making poor decisions every day and it's dangerous it's a national security risk every minute that he sits in the oval office it's absurd it's well and it's also i mean speaking as someone who you know worked for the cia it's also a slap in the face. I said, this is the first time I've ever seen the FBI be the villains in an American story. They've always been our heroes. You must have colleagues or ex-colleagues oh, who yes. just feel so confused by how to respond to being under attack. By the way, the people I know in the FBI, in the FBI, the CIA, yeah. they are largely conservative people. There are a lot of conservative yes, people. Absolutely. It's not like some evil, it's not like a bunch of evil, like lefty commies running around trying to... <laughs> No, um, you know, undermine system. <laughs> They're literally. Crazy. It's um. I have a ton of friends who are who still work there, and it's it's interesting. Like a friend of mine, uh, he's gay, and he said, I, "I don't. I'm three years from my retirement. I literally don't know what to do." And I, I was like, "You cannot quit because you just a you can't quit because you can't let Trump take that away from you." But he said, <clears throat> "But he's so torn." But then ultimately, what I try to tell people, you know. So many people who work there are, you know, it's demoralizing and it's demeaning to have the president stand in front of the CIA memorial wall and then say, hey, by the way, I was on the cover of Time magazine because anybody with an actual soul or a heart who stands in front of that wall, if you can't feel that, palpably feel the power of the loss of mm -hmm. lives given to this country, then there's something intrinsically wrong with your DNA. And so I know mm -hmm. so many people who work at the agency, work at the FBI, they feel, you know, just truly slapped in the face by, by all of this. But ultimately I, I give this as my gift to the American people or anybody who's listening is at the end of the day, they're calloused. Like when you work for the CIA, you work for the FBI, you have a callous skin and you just go and you do the work as much as Trump is, you know, shooting off shit from his mm -hmm. mouth. Ultimately facts are facts. Yeah. And you can rest assured that, you know, the people who go in, the women and men who go in, 
they're careerists. You know, it's people who've worked for so many different administrations. They've worked for Obama. They've worked for Bush. They don't care. Their loyalty is to the country. I I totally agree with you. And we're we're if 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 we if rule of law will maintains, we're going to be fine. But the fact that he's got a swath of the American public doubting the entire Department of Justice and doubting what the FBI does and doubting what the CIA does and, and, and you know, side-eyeing our entire intelligence community. Like, that's going to take a whole generation to unwind, really? to get people's faith back in the way that we should, we should have. It. I mean, these are career, like, law and order justice guys. How he has treated ro- lifelong Republican war hero Robert Mueller, Is- how he has treated... Um, Andrew McCabe and James Comey, despite whatever, however Comey handled the, the emails, the guy is a boy scout. The yeah. fact that, that that these people are being treated like a, like slimeball real estate thugs that screwed him over on a shitty apartment deal in Queens is like yet another indication of how cartoonish the, the America is right now. It's, it, I hope, and I, I think you're right. I think it's going to take years and years. I think it's already been hard to recruit really strong talent into the intelligence community for reasons outside of Trump. I just think generations are different. We're looking for different things, whatever. And I, he is, he's made it so incredibly challenging to do that, but it's, it is, it's people who, you know, I, I tell people after nine 11, you had people literally sleeping in the halls, trying, doing whatever they could to stop the next attack. You have people who literally work 24-7 at the agency, at the FBI, and their sole mission is to protect this country, and it's about national security. They will sacrifice time from their family, their kids, everything for the country, and this this fool is then criticizing and slapping them down, and it's it's disgusting. And also, you're losing... And then you've got a whole... Yeah, totally. You've got an entire news network. Don't forget the difference between Nick. There's two differences between Nixon and Trump. Nixon was a Boy Scout compared to Trump, first of all, in terms of criminality. (laughs) Trump is much worse. Trump has an entire news organization supporting his propaganda. So you've got got a whole Rupert Murdoch-funded Fox News network throwing this propaganda out into the world, which also is shitting on the FBI and shitting on the Department of Justice and shitting on um, the intelligence community. And for what? For what? So they can get tax breaks for their, cor- their wealthy corporate friends and their donors? Is that worth it? I don't understand. I don't understand putting party over countries that deeply in any way. It's And look, I'm used to people shitting on the CIA because the nature of the business, like you don't, people don't know about it. There's a, I, I get that. But mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. when you have every single intelligence community come together in and agree on anything, first of all, I always tell people the intelligence community is sort of like, it's just, we're all siblings all trying to fight for our parents' affection and like to be the favorite. Right. But the fact that they've right. all come together and there's 16, 17, I'm wrong. I'm off by one. So I apologize. And anybody can call me on that. Mm-hmm. We've all agreed on the fact that Russia aggressively meddled in our elections. They've all come together and said, yeah. oh yeah, it happened. And then you have this. It's and then you have Trump yeah. saying, nope, I, I I believe Putin. I'm with I'm yeah. I'm with North Korea. The whole thing is a hoax. Could have been a fat guy in his mother's basement. Could have been China. Could have been I mean, give me a break. But people it's, believe uh, it. It's absurd. Do you it's have absurd. any family? The... Oh, sorry. No, no, I was gonna ask you a question, but I wanted you to finish. I apologize. 
Uh, I was just going to say, uh, you know, the, the, the minute he took office or even rose to the, the, the potential of taking office, the conversation about impeaching him for, for being unfit should have immediately happened within the high ranks of the GOP. He should have spent not, not more than 48 hours in that job and simply said, because it's Congress's duty to, to impeach an unfit president. That's, it's also the duty of the Electoral College, which shit the bed, by the way. That's the reason to have the Electoral College, is to prevent a demagogue, an autocrat, an unfit populist to take power. It's right there. It's like the second tenant of the Electoral College. That's the, that's the reason it exists outside of the horrible, archaic, uh, slave-owning states, you know, well, being fearful you, of, the, of the northern states having more sway. It, it, that's the argument for it. And they didn't do it. They shit the bed. So now there's no reason to have the Electoral College. Well, none Zero. at all. It, well, it's interesting. Yeah. What I like doing now is just going through and finding old quotes by Lindsey Graham and like Paul Ryan talking about how fucking horrible Trump is and then just kind of going, okay, when, at what point? I was like, was it 2016 mm-hmm. you sold your soul? When was the soul that you sold? Yeah. It's kind so of Lindsey amazing. Lindsey Graham is the worst. Oh. His hypocrisy is astounding. To, to hear him thunder away about Bill, Clinton, Bill Clinton's beha- quote-unquote behavior Oh. being unfit for the presidency and then to support this 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 asshole is is like it's like he doesn't know that we have video of all that i know it's like they actually have the receipts i was um, so i was going to ask you you were talking about growing up in a family that was conservative and you know obviously not not progressive and as liberal as you are now do you still have family that that you know do you have family that supported trump do you guys talk about it or is it no, I have, uh, I have sisters who are pretty progressive. I have a mother who's sort of on the fence. And I have a father and a brother who are very conservative guys who could not bring themselves to pull the lever for Trump. Oh, that's good. They, could, they, liter- they literally couldn't do it because of their sheer decency. Uh, because of that's... the decency factor. And the fact that people weren't, didn't do that is, is astonishing to me. Well, I have... Astonishing to me. I have some family, some in Florida, which makes, which explains it, who, uh, who I was like, oh, Florida, um, and some in Missouri, but yeah. it was interesting trying to have a discussion. And then it was funny. I was debating uh, somebody, uh, relative, I'm trying to keep them, their, their identity secret. And my husband literally physically pulled me away. Cause I was like, oh, I was like, how can and, yeah, yeah. And any type, he, he was just like, don't use logic and reason. Like it's not logic, reason, facts aren't aren't relevant right yeah. now in this debate. He's not going to yeah. listen to you. You know, he's the kind of person where Fox isn't conservative enough for him. So he listens to own and which is another, mm, you know, yeah. hellscape of, of craziness. But are you to be positive? Who are you excited about for 2020? What would be a perfect ticket for you? Oh man, that's such a good question. I think Elizabeth Warren is crushing everyone in terms of policy ideas. She was, well, I think she has Kamala Harris, What's that? She has policy ideas. She's one of the few that has said, these are my policies. Oh, totally. She's got some amazing ones. And to be honest, the, the, at the end of the day, one of the maybe the greatest challenge in the country is that it's being run by the plutocracy, these, this billionaire class that Bernie Sanders is always talking about. And unless we do something about that staggering dynastic wealth, this, will, this problem will never get solved. And Elizabeth Warren is talking about ways to sort of even things out a little bit. And um, so I love her. I love Kamala Harris a uh, lot. I love. think Cory Booker's amazing. I think 
I think Mayor Pete is amazing. I love him. Um, yeah. And I think, and I really like Joe Biden, although he's put his foot in his mouth like seven times and already in the first two weeks. Yeah. I get sad when um, he does that. I'm like, oh, Joe, you're, you're probably our best shot at beating Trump. But Joe. Yeah. I think he crushed Trump in the, in the election, which is what's hard for me. Yeah. Feeling like he'd win and the, and the national emergency would be over. But I'm not sure that uh, policy-wise, he's, um, you know, he's got strong enough ideas to sort of help write this ship. But I'll I, take him. I'll take him. Are oh, you kidding me? I will literally support any, I mean, as painful as it'd be if, like, Bernie gets it, I would, I'll support whoever it is who isn't yeah. Trump, obviously. Yeah. Um, I worry because it's the potential, uh, anybody, yeah. literally. Yeah. If you have a dog right now yeah. and he's going to run, I'd be like, I, yeah. I'd vote for Fido. I'd. Fight I over think president. Bernie would beat him up pretty good too. And Bernie's another one like Elizabeth Warren. Been talking about the plutocracy and the billionaire class and the radical inequality. That's the main problem in America right now. He's he's been talking about that for forty years. So, I was going to uh, say, know, you look at old he, videos. He's saying the same thing he said forty years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's got some really smart uh, policy ideas as well. It's a great field. It's a really great field. There's not very many I'm not that excited about, to be honest. I'm, uh, that are out front. Do you think though that we are at a place where you could see someone, see a woman, see a woman of color, see oh, a gay yeah, man? Yeah. Actually, I don't. I get nervous, and I and people say, "Oh, if you say that, then no one will vote for him." I just, I see the kind of shit that I receive, and I am a nobody, being mm-hmm. you know a Jewish woman, and the mm-hmm. the the literally the filth and the hate, and I. I, it's so prevalent and we see it everywhere. We see it with a synagogue shooting, our churches getting burned down, mm-hmm. um, a trans ban. Like I, I get nervous that these are the candidates who I think would be best and would just serve our country so well. And I get worried that people won't, won't vote for them because they're still. Well, here's, here's, to me, here's, here's my perspective is that if we worry about sort of Trump voters, yes, right, then we lose. Okay. Because quite frankly, you have to, we have to remember there's 320 million Americans and definitely less than 60 million people support Trump, right? Less than yeah. the people who voted for him support him still. So you're talking about one in four adults, maybe okay. one in three people. So the numbers are, are really heavily in favor of the, of the, of the not Trump candidate, whoever that is. You know what I mean? So I feel like we don't need to appease to the base. They have shown themselves to be ex- to be okay with naked racism, bigotry, misogyny, corruption, unfitness, uh, anti-intellectuals. They've shown themselves to be okay with that. We don't need them. We will fight on their behalf anyway. We don't need them. The numbers are the numbers. The three out of four of Ameri- Americans, I believe, would vote for any candidate other than Trump. I hope, I hope I'm right. right about that. Because if not, if not, it's over. If not, America we're fucked. America dies in darkness. Yeah, yes. if, if not, America we're... dies in darkness. I was going to say, we're going to go visit your family in Italy and we're going to take over that yeah. small little yeah. town. They're going to be descended yeah. upon. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I, I truly hope you're right because I, I don't know if it's just my cynicism or just being so jaded that I, I, cause I listen to mayor Pete and I get excited. I listen to Harris and I think, God, our country, what, what could become because the pendulum has shifted so much. And I I've talked about, I have, you know, nieces. And I was so excited that all they knew was really Obama. That's what they knew. And I got mm-hmm. excited thinking that they're going to now see 
see that America has so much promise and there's so much opportunity that now they're going to see a woman, they're going to see Hillary and how that must fill their hopes and their aspirations and what it speaks to, you know, as a country. And then of course, you know, Armageddon happened. So it, I, I hope they see that. And I also hope I, you know, the impeachment debate, you know, rages on and I, I hope we impeach because I think America needs to see our country work. It needs to see that we have systems in place, a checks and a balance yeah. that we can actually utilize it and it works. Even if the Senate, you know, scums out yeah, and look, they will. Yeah, I mean, impeachment won't get through the Senate, but that's actually not the point. It is the, con- it is the Congress's constitutional duty to impeach this president. The evidence in the Mueller report, I read 182 pages of the Mueller report. I didn't read the whole thing. I read 182 pages. It's the most damning political document in the history of the country in terms of the the behavior of the person in the Oval Office. It is Congress's duty to impeach. It is not the duty of the American people to impeach at the the ballot box. We're supposed to be choosing who's going to govern us. They're the ones supposed to be dealing with law and order issues. You know what I mean? And if they kick the can down the road, for it, to make it about the press, put the pressure on us to impeach at the ballot box, the precedent that that sets is so dangerous. I mean, I, I think it's so foolish. We need to just introduce all of the evidence into the public square so that the public can see it, put right. it on the historical record, let the Senate vote against impeachment and let them live with that till their dying day to, to vote against impeaching the most corrupt person that's ever held the office by a mile. Let them live with that. That's to me so clearly what needs to happen. That's the, and that to me would be fine if that was the legacy. I, I kept thinking, I'm like, America, history is going to be so cruel to you all. This is the, yeah. these are your, this is your legacy. This will not be about anything good that you did. It will be this. Mm-hmm. And I am. Yeah, and I don't, and I'm, I feel like Pelosi has been doing a great job since she took yeah. over, but this, this, I do not understand this pussyfooting around, uh. this tic-tac-y uh, thing, that, which basically just is like, He's not worth it. What do you mean he's not worth it? He's a, he's committed ten impeachable obstruction of justice offenses. Ten. Well, he's also the president, just so the I think he's worth it. I'm like yeah. I'm like, hey Pelosi, he literally is worth it. He's literally the president, so I'm gonna yeah. say he's worth he's it. And so we, worth it. I feel like it's, we, just, as, it's just astonishing. It is. No, okay. Just to lighten this up, if you were gonna cast this movie, the Trump yeah. movie. I need to know who I've would already you already cast it on Twitter. Did you play our Twitter game? No. Movie oh, wait a minute. Tell me who. I didn't see it. It's Sam Waterston must play Robert Mueller. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Of course. Um, Josh Molina must play well, Rod Rosenstein. Oh, he has to. There's no choice. I saw John Cryer and John, him back and forth. Yeah, totally. John Goodman will be William Barr. Oh, there's literally every time I see him, I'm like, there's John Goodman. Genius. Yeah, totally. Uh, I can't remember who else we got. It was a really fun sort of like Twitter day where everyone was just throwing out ideas. Who's gonna whoever, the real question is who the hell, who's going to write this mini series? It's going to it's going to be like thirty episodes. Literally, it's it's. I I said to people at first, we're like, oh, who will do the movie? Then it was like, who will do the limited series? Who will do the mini series? I'm like, this is a full on like four year commitment series commitment. Totally. I think. Yeah, who? like his rise to power would take oh. quite a few episodes to get into the, to the mission. Except, except you don't cast Trump. You just see his hand like the bad guy in Inspector Gadget. Oh, I like that. You never what? actually see him because it's too annoying. 
Who plays the women? Like, who did did you guys cast? Hope Hicks or we Kelly had uh, Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie is uh, as Ivanka. Perfect. She'd be great. Um, somebody had a great Kellyanne. Who the hell was it? I forget. Oh, the woman who does really funny on Saturday Night Live. Oh, Hillary Clinton on Saturday Night Live. Kate McKinnon as Kellyanne Conway. Oh, genius, genius, genius. And Hope. Um, I think. Annie Hathaway would be a good Hope Hicks. There you go. There you go. Throwing I mean, it out it, there. You know, it's going to happen in the next in our lifetime. Somebody will attempt to tell this story, and it and it may seem ridiculous even then when but, it's written. Well, I always assume that when people like all the all the folks in LA who are screenwriters, every time they write something, they're like, "Well, fuck, I can't compete with what's going on now." Like, how do you compete? You just you you literally can't compete with anything. It's it's like it's watching absurd. Veep now. It's if you if you pitched a studio or a network, if you went in and said, "So America's like biggest asshole who's like a reality game show asshole. He's famous for being an asshole on reality game shows. Who's broke and was given four hundred fifty million dollars by his rich dad, and who has spent his life preying on young women, oftentimes teenage girls, with the likes of people like Jeffrey Epstein, etc." and who is entirely uh, against anything intellectual. He doesn't read books. He would have failed out of school if he didn't have daddy's help. Uh, he runs for president and he wins with the help of the Russian intelligence service. It, they would laugh you out of the room and never let you back in in Hollywood. Ever. You would be dead. You'd be literally, you'd be like, we don't want to talk to this crazy guy. By the way, it's yeah. who, whoever, the Russians are literally toasting. Every single night, they were doing shots of vodka, and they were like, "We cannot believe we got so lucky with this dumb motherfucker." Like their luck is—it's astonishing because when you go and you go through spy training, which is, you know, every country has a, has a, has their own intelligence service. It's pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. You're you figure out what's recruitable, what somebody's you know motives are, and what their vulnerabilities are. Mm -hmm. Trump is yeah. literally, he's a rainbow of vulnerabilities. Like he's, he's so perfect. Totally. He's putty. They must've thought maybe it's not real. Like I, I think that they totally. never could have assumed they would have such a beautiful gift of such a corrupt, dumb, dumb, egotistical soul. I, yeah. He's going to, I a malignant I said, narcissist who, 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 who literally just would tell the party line because he doesn't want like, you know, other strong men throughout the world to think he's soft. I mean, that's like r ridiculous. I and can't don't forget Putin, Putin's entire hope in all of this is to weaken the, our NATO alliance, which he did to bring chaos to the West. He did. And, Check. and, and both of those things are absolute a plus successes in, in Putin's book. It, when he stood up with Putin said, I believe Putin over our intelligence community, it was, that was one of those moments I went, I, I did not hear this. And I remember I had to keep rewinding it going, I never thought I would hear this in my lifetime. I'm convinced mm -hmm. that Trump will be a case study that will be studied at the FBI and the CIA for years to come. It will be, you know, the CIA, you go down to the farm and you learn how to be a spy and you go to spy school. This will be the case study. They will literally, it will be a chapter yep. in the book on how to not repeat it. It'll be the same way that we, that they talk about Aldridge Ames and some of these other treasonous, you know, bastards, if Trump will be in the mm -hmm. same, will be in the same light. Yeah, but yeah. here's the crazy thing. Yes. After all of that, he's, 
he has like a 90 or an 85 percent approval rating within the Republican Party. How is that possible? Because they're scared of him. The entire party is rotten at this it's, point. It's rotten right now. They, and they're terrified. They, there was a, a video that's going around of Mark Rubio talking about um, about it, basically talking about how the attorney general it was damning some Democratic attorney general. And basically now he's still supporting Bill Barr, you know, and it's it, it, there's a craziness. There's a rot. As yours, as you said, inside. But I think yeah. they're so terrified of him. They're so absolutely terrified of the tweets of, of of the storm. I mean, think, that that, think about that. Think of that. What on earth would what the earth kind of person is going to be terrified of a tweet from a moron? Like if you have a, if you have a, something to say, stand up and say it. I actually think the problem is so deeper. The Republicans have has wedged themselves in so densely with Trump's base, they can now no longer remove themselves from the base. So they are now the party of misogyny and xenophobia and Islamophobia and racism and, you know, populism, nationalism, white nationalism. They can't remove themselves because if they do, they lose too much support and they get crushed. So it's like they have to hang on to this quote unquote Trump base. It's, it's, It's crazy. It's pulled them all like way to the right. I don't Crazy. know. And it's interesting, the folks that haven't, like the Ben Sass, who still goes to the right, but you feel like he kind of wants to move to the left, but then he, he goes to the right. And you just think, like, mm-hmm. it's in there. Come on. Pull McCain. Yeah. I mean, Mitt Romney, come on, all these people. Stand up. Oh. Say something. Decency first. Stand up. If, if the Democratic Party, not that they ever would, had somebody as corrupt as Trump, no way would that person have lasted. He wouldn't have even Look. gotten into the... White House in the first place. It's it's absurd. Well, we also, we don't fight the way, I think that's one of the reasons we lost too, because we don't fight the way, Democrats don't fight the way the Republicans do. The Republicans, first of all, were very consistent with their message, but they're also, they'll fight dirty and we'll, we'll eat our own. Like we do, we just eat our own because we're like, well, that's just wrong. And so then we'll just, you know, we'll pummel each other because of, you know, ideology. Not that that's bad, but when we do that, it just stands so opposite from what the Republicans are doing. And so they can yeah, yeah. steamroll us ahead. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, what Mitch McConnell has done is as, is as damaging to the country as what Trump has done. He's such an obstructionist. It's absurd. We lose, we lose a, a Supreme Court seat, two of them. I know. Two Supreme Court seats. I want And a hundred federal judges have now been appointed. This is why they sold their soul to the devil. So I they just, can stack the courts uh, against progress. Oh, uh, Georgia. Oh, good Lord. Uh, Stephen, I'm, I'm yeah. literally, so, I literally, when I saw the, the abortion bill they're doing, and then I want Ruth Bader Ginsburg literally shrouded in like a plastic bubble, like the old John Travolta boy in the plastic bubble movie. And I want her in there and I will, I I will literally volunteer to like pre-chew her food. I don't care. We just need to keep her. Yeah. I'm like, you need to just, yeah. just, you cannot retire anytime. anyone I see her trending, I like, I literally grasp you know, grab my heart. I'm like, please be okay. It's, um, but I need to change this topic yeah. and talk about something very fun because, um, because okay. I do adore you. And if I didn't talk about musical theater, I would legitimately like punch myself. So I have oh a quiz God. for well, you. We, we went hardcore into Trump hatred and then have no, and those back up into happy musical theater. Land. We have to it. do musical theater. Okay. I need, I have so okay. many questions, but I have a quiz for you later that was running around on social okay. media that I need to ask. Um, Okay, well, I'll do the quiz okay. first, and then I'll segue into some others. What's the musical? Okay. What's your absolute favorite musical of all times? 
Um, and I'll judge you by your answer. Sweeney Todd. <gasps> Good answer. Of course. But it's the correct answer. Five. It is a correct answer. It's, it's a top five answer. for me. What are your other top fives? Top five. Sweeney Todd, Sunday in the Park with George, <laughs> Floyd Collins. Okay. Uh, Carousel. Okay. And uh, the fifth slot would have to be like Gypsy or West Side Story. So you're Sondheim um, heavy. Well, sometimes by a million miles, the greatest who's ever done, whoever did this job. He's created, in my mind, five masterpieces. Sunday in the Park with George, Sweeney Todd, A Little Night Music, Assassins. Uh, Am I forgetting one? No, four. Four masterpieces. All of his shows are good, but those are masterpieces. And he wrote four of them. I mean, that's like incredible to me. I saw him at a, like a talk. He did a talk back and had Brian Stokes Mitchell. And I forgot who the other woman was who sang. Um, she did a Great Gardens. You know who I'm talking about? And Christine she Eversole? did. Yes. And they sang. And I literally sat there weeping, listening, listening to Stephen Sondheim talk. It was, he is, yeah. yeah oh, Company. Amazing. Company to me is, is, a, is truly a work of. Company is a great one. Company. Oh, another you, great one. Yeah. I have those three are in my top five as well, but I usually say I can do a top five and then it like veers into like eight, but it's yeah, most. Mine, mine becomes 10 pretty quickly. I just saw, I was in New York and I just saw the revival of Merrily We Roll Along and it was like my white whale. I'd never seen it and I loved it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, did you see oh, the you revival? Did. That's good. I didn't. I saw a production a couple years ago. That's like a famous famously problematic show because of all the time changing and so you know blah 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 but i know that it's it's um that was a super successful like revisit of that material but there's some great there's some great music in there too he's written them like all of his shows are incredible i'm simply putting the like staggering works of masterpiece who would you would be would live in my top five okay so who would you like who's if someone said okay steven you can play any role right now what would you want to play uh floyd Okay. Interesting. Good. What are some of the other ones? Another one of our great genius composers. Uh, um, so see, I've worked with his, with him and been friends with him for a long time. His music is, has the same effect on me that Sondheim's does. It's just super powerful. And I would really only put Sondheim, Adam, and Jason Robert Brown in that. In that Jason category. Robert Brown. Oh, so good. Yeah, he's, he's a mad, mad genius. Like literally mad, mad, mad genius too. And I think like I, I get excited. Like I'm, they're the kind of people where I get excited. I'm like, what are they working on? I always try to like figure out and like do little, go through wormholes. And then I end up just going on YouTube and listening to everybody and listening to people sing. Uh-huh. Uh, is there a musical you hate or that you, you feel okay is saying? Musical like, I hate? Or like you see it and you're like, you know what? I, I don't need to say it again. I'm not, uh, I'm not super into the jukebox phase that we're in right now me neither i'm not super into the sort of like the music of so-and-so and now it's the music of this person and now, you know i like a i like a theater score written for the show i do that too. to me feels kind of purist in a way that i like even though i know it makes me sound snotty no uh, look i i i agree with you i also don't like fiddler but as a jewish girl we had to watch it every single year in Sunday school. And so I'm just like fiddlered out. And so I can't ever see. Fiddler's like, so good, Emily. Ugh. Are you kidding? Fiddler is so good. I've You're going to get your Jewish card taken away. Oh, literally. I've seen it probably 16 times. Literally. Monday, you have over 
some oversaturation. I, I, I have a little bit. I and I literally I, and I just get I start rolling my eyes. I get annoyed. I'm like, but then I saw a clip. A friend showed me a clip of a production in Oklahoma where they did it with uh, a joint deaf deaf production of it, and it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it, it like kind oh, of cool. changed my view of it because I was like, oh, I hate Fiddler. And he goes, let me just send you this clip. I think it was at the Lyric uh, Theater. And it truly, it it changed my thought. I said, okay, I, I think I'll, I'll like Fiddler now because it was beautiful. Oh, good. Oh, good. I had yeah. tears coming it's down my face. Like, like, damn you. What musical do you think is overrated? Yeah. An overrated musical? Hmm. I'll give you oh, underrated so you can do overrated too. Well, underrated underrated would be Assassins and Little Night Music. Um, they're 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 like that's some of his most genius work. Uh, and John Weidman's creepy, brilliant book on assassins is also like a staggering work of genius. I think totally underappreciated, even though beloved. Yes. Um, and um, I would have to say Floyd Collins again, although the score for Floyd Collins lives on as something that's very beloved. Its original run was only a, really a few weeks, like I was gonna 20 say, years ago. No one really has ever seen that show. So uh, I believe that it's got the potential to be one of the great things anyone's ever seen because of Adam's genius. Um, so maybe that will, um, is, I would put in the underrated category. What, is there a musical, like what was the first musical you ever saw? Or the first, and also the first musical that ever made you go, I this is this is really different. This is really cool. This is something I want to maybe spend some time doing in my um, life. I mean, when I was a kid, my parents we took my we took a trip to see like Phantom, and then we took another trip and we saw uh, Les Mis. Uh, but it was like a third or fourth trip where I saw this musical called Blood Brothers. Yes, um, that really like affected me in a way. It made me feel like, oh man, what a cool job like i want to do that job where you could like be an actor and play scenes and also sing songs <laughs> i thought it was i thought it was really incredible and moving and i wonder if i would still feel that way if i revisited that show but i certainly did then when i was like 16. it's mine was uh avita and i was a really little girl oh sure and i I was so little, I didn't understand that she wasn't a nice person. I just thought she, it was, I was listening to Patty Lapone and it like, just, mm-hmm. it killed me. It ripped out my heart and I just thought it was amazing. And then I remember seeing it for real in a production and turning to my mom going, oh, she's not very nice. And my mom just <laughs> laughed. She said, no, she's, she was not very nice. And it, it like, it screwed up my world. But that, that's the musical that, I saw the revival. I will always see, and I will always love, and it's just. But that was for me. I went ah, musical theater. Yeah, sure. Do you ever yeah, go? It's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty uniquely like American, like a spectacular American art form. You know, it's really special, especially here in New York on Broadway. What do you list? Do you ever get into phases? Because right now, I I go through phases where I'll listen to you know, a musical over and over and over again in my car until I ruin it. And then I'm like, Oh fuck, I just ruined another musical for myself. Cause I couldn't stop listening to it. Do you have any that are on repeat? <laughs> oh, I literally, I do it all the time. My husband's like, are you going to go ruin dear Evan Hansen? I'm like, yeah, give me two weeks. It'll be ruined. I'm totally good. I'll oh, ruin that fine. one. Soon. Oh, that's another one that was so good. Dear Evan Hansen. <sighs> no, I don't, you know, I don't do a lot. I did when I first was bit by the bug and like fell in love with theater and musicals. I, re- I listened to all of them a lot to the point where I knew every word to every song of every show uh, that was good that had ever been written, I would, I would say. But I don't do so much of it 
No, I'll pull up, I'll, I'll every once in a while, I'll pull up a, a specific song, you know? Yeah. But I don't do a lot of sort of sitting with a whole cast album anymore like I, like I did when I was young. But maybe I should revisit it. No, because then you'll do what I do and you'll ruin it. Like I've ruined so many musicals. I ruined Sunday in the Park for a really long time for myself. Now I'm revisiting it. Um, I ruined Company. Yeah. Company is destroyed for me, except I can now <laughs> listen to Being Alive. Sometimes I listen to some, I listen to the revival of Being Alive. I'm like, okay, it's coming back. I can, it's not so much ruined by me, but is there, <laughs> oh, it's horrible. Do you have a guilty pleasure musical that, that you kind of, like you're like, oh, I really like this musical. I know it's not the greatest, but I kind of love it. I don't. I'm such a snot. I'm really a snot about what I like, and I like the good shit. If it's not good, I don't really. I don't have a. I don't have. A, I don't have a. I don't have that chip to enjoy. It's like not goodness. Are you gonna judge me if I tell you that I really like Starlight Express? Yes, you, I am okay. going to judge you, and we're gonna. And I'm gonna get off the phone now. You Bye. Probably, Bye. I've seen it three times. <laughs> It's so horrible. I love it. And I know it's every the time. It's roller I... skating musical. Legitimately, they're on roller skates. I remember when someone said that. I'm like, oh, they're not really on roller skates. And then I saw this. Oh, they're really on roller skates. And then I thought, oh, this is a musical I can never do because I have literally no hand-eye coordination whatsoever. Yeah. And I, I imagine that. It. Imagine con- con- the concept of that. I mean, that takes the idea of a musical about cats and makes it seem like the best idea ever. Ever. And just, then just roller skating <laughs> trains. They're trains. Roller skating trains. Are you excited oh, about yeah. the Yeah, You shouldn't have said that. Yeah, I know. It's it's I've ruined the entire I've ruined everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the everything that I gathered, all the goodwill has been destroyed by my admittance that I kind of love Style Express and can sing all of Dinah's parts in it. Um is Incredible. there uh, oh, God I love it. Well, I was asking if I was excited about the Cats movie. Yeah, or do you think it's going to be pretty awful? I'm curious. I'm more curious, I think, than I am excited about the Cats movie. I don't under, quite understand. I don't either. Cats, although I think dancers are the most incredible creatures on Earth, so if the dancing is incredible, I think I'll be like super into it. Is there a musical that you can't believe you've never seen that everyone's like, oh my God, I can't believe you haven't seen it. You have not seen this musical? I haven't seen, I haven't seen a lot. Oh my gosh. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of the good oldies. I haven't seen Showboat. I haven't seen, uh, I haven't seen a lot, frankly. Really? I so would think my, like... my answer is broad, I'm afraid. Okay. Is there anything you're excited about now? Because I'm heading back to New York. I was just there and I saw a couple of shows, but I'm going back. I'm seeing Town for sure. Anything else? That was amazing. I heard it was so good. Yeah, that's Rachel Chafkin, who's just one of our great young geniuses that we have working in the theater today. She's really a master. That's amazing. I think the band's visit just closed, but I adored the band's visit. I loved it. That was like an incredibly good, beautiful. Uh, Like that's what you know. Like that's what craft is when you're when you're making a musical story. To me, a show like the band's visit. I love Dear Evan Hansen. Me too. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff happening right now. A lot of good plays happening. Yeah, right I was here. just so there's... Out of your, We're getting out of your wheelhouse. We start. No, no, about no. That? There is. There's some good ones. I wanted to see what the Constitution means to me, and I. There wasn't good. That's exactly scene. what I was going to recommend. It's I so it was... inspiring that play. 
I heard it was fantastic. And I'm so that's the one I wanted to see. And I think I can, I'm trying to figure out how I can fit it in. And I, that's the one I want to see because I was like, Oh, if I have Hades town, I'll, I'll bounce it out. And I saw Tootsie cause I am a big David Yazbek, obviously bands visit fan. I was like, I'll see anything mm-hmm. he does. And also it was delightful, mm-hmm. super fun, but yeah, I wanted to see that. It was, it was great. Great. And she really like holds the constitution to task for being a brilliant, but also really a work that, that is written by and for and to protect old white men and how we have a lot of progress to make yet, you know, legislatively. I'm kind of thrilled and excited that we're seeing more of these types of shows that are taking a look back. Like they're doing a revival of 1776. I just read, which is, they are. That's interesting. I could be wrong, but I know that show. It's, it, it's like Hamilton light. Sort of, you know, it's yeah. It's It's like if Hamilton were written by like corny white guys instead of a genius hip hop connoisseur. Exactly. (laughs) If it were, it's Hamilton. If it wasn't written by a genius, truly, because there's like, you know, there's a there's a song "Sit Down, George," and it's like very peppy, like some music by somebody's playing Ben Franklin, and it's just like it's fun. There's only two, like female roles in it it's a very it's interesting it's a very still like i'm like great so what the constitution means to me i love that it's a woman who's who's telling the story you know we had hamilton where which obviously flipped the script entirely but then 1776 i don't know how you can modernize it it's literally it's a whitey white male musical and so i hope that they i'm not sure there's I really don't think we have the taste for that anymore don't either i think you've got to do something with it you got to do something um, you know, you got to do a twist or, or revisit it in a way that feels valuable to, to, to modern audiences. And a show with a bunch of old white dudes is not what we're interested in it, anymore. No, and I think that's, and hopefully they've seen it at the box office with so many of these other shows that have really spoke, mm-hmm. you know, spoken to what audiences want and what they sort of crave and desire. And it's it's mm-hmm. truly, it's, it's not that. Because it was interesting how Tootsie did it and obviously different than constitution stuff, but how they handled me too and how they handled, you know, where women are. And it, they did it really in a smart way. Cause I thought, how are they going to do this like this, mm-hmm. you know, and take that story mm-hmm. although. And so I think they did it really, really smart. Although I took my husband and occasionally he'll go with me in a musical. And he, I said, Hey hon, do you want me to explain to you, you know, kind of what the story is? He goes, no, no, I saw the movie. And I was like, okay. He goes, yeah, you know, they get divorced and he comes back and pretends to be the maid. I was like, no, babe, that's Mrs. Doubtfire. He goes, wait a minute. This isn't Mrs. <laughs> Doubtfire. I said, no, honey, this oh, is Tootsie. Really... He goes, oh, so... that's really funny. Oh, it was, he literally, he was, he was stunned. And he's like, wait a minute. Well, what do we see? I'm saying, we're seeing Tootsie, honey. And he kept saying, it's not the same thing. I said, no. He goes, am I going to be disappointed? I'm like, well, sure, you're going to be super disappointed if you thought you were going to see Mrs. Doubtfire. It's really different. Yeah. Night and day. Night night and day. Although they are making Mrs. Doubtfire a musical out here. Are you serious? He'll be thrilled. He, I did hear that somewhere, yeah. He was literally, he, had, he goes, no, I like watched scenes in the movie because I wanted to see how they were going to do this, the musical part with the broom. And I said, oh, yeah, honey, this is going to be, this is going to be a super disappointment for you if you thought you are seeing oh Mrs. Doubtfire. He's, yeah, I've, I've ruined funny. it. He's he's done. That's he's yeah. Um, we're not. He's not going to join me for any theater for this go round. He's like, I think right. he I learned his lesson. Yeah, he's like, I've I've been ruined. I just want to also just thank <laughs> you again uh, for for doing this and for joining me. And I just want to of course remind, you're very welcome. 
Oh my gosh. And I want to just th- remind everyone to visit us. We're on iTunes now. That is our new home. So please visit us there. Great. Give us a rating, especially if it's good. And write what you think. I'd love to hear your feedback. And also you can go to uh, Deep State Radio Network. You can support all the work. We're doing amazing podcasts there. Where we're having these kind of conversations that I'm having today with Steven. And we're having it with some really interesting folks talking all about what's going on in the country, but from a really positive perspective. I co-host a new podcast as well called Unredacted with Philippe Rhinus, who was with Hillary Clinton for 17 years, and Molly Jungfast, who you probably know of, who's a great writer and she does great satire as well. And we're talking and having these interesting conversations as well. You can follow Deep State Radio on Twitter, on Facebook. You can follow Steven on Twitter as well. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you again. I was just so thrilled to be able to chat with you. And I'm just such a fan of your work and and thank just you. inspired also by how you use your voice. I think it's so important now that people who have a platform and a voice use it in such a beautiful, positive way. And I just applaud you for that. And thank you for that as well. All right. Thank you, Emily. Fuck Trump. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.